Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at wfpk.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sounds and the Consequence Podcast Network. Hello to all the subscribers. Thank you all for checking out uh, every episode we put out. I know there's a, there's a lot out there, three a week with new ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I appreciate you keeping up. If you haven't given the series a rating or review, that's always a huge help. And if you're not a subscriber, take the moment before we get started to hit that subscribe button. Keep up with all the episodes every single week. It's a great way to know what all your favorite artists have been up to. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today is one of my favorite artists, Cold War Kids, talking with Nathan Willett once again. They've got a brand new record called New Age Norms. And the cool thing about this record, it's great as it is, but it's part one of three, which means there's lots more to come. And not only will Nathan and I be talking about what the differences are between part one, two, and three, but really diving into this first one. It's a fun record. It's got funk. It's got disco. We're going to hear what went into that whole process. And Nathan says one of the big things that's different about the songwriting is uh, each song is really focused lyrically. That's his quote right there. I'm going to figure out what that means, especially when we compare that to some of the big themes that's going on in songs like Complainer and Fourth of July. It's one thing to write a song that's socially reflective. It's another thing to make a song that really sticks, though. And there's definitely been a lot of thoughts that's gone behind that right there. And as I mentioned, we'll also hear about what to expect from parts two and three Something earthy from the second one, he says. And a few surprises for that uh, final part of the trilogy as well. Let's jump into it, talking about the record New Age Norms Part 1 
It's Kyle Meredith with Cold War Kids. Hello. Well, let's talk about uh, New Age Norms, the the first volume of three here. First off, I got to tell you that this record is so much fun to listen to. Uh, I mean, right from the beginning. It's one of the most fun records I've heard this year. So uh, congratulations on this one. Rad. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited about that. I think it. I definitely wanted it to be like part of it being kind of on the shorter end. I just realized that it's under 30 minutes. All right. <laughs> nine minutes or something. So like, yeah, eight songs. And, and I think, yeah, generally fun is something that I don't think we've necessarily uh, probably a common adjective for us in the past. And so I think uh, there's something, yeah, there's kind of, that was somewhere, not a goal per se, but something that I was definitely hoping to kind of have uh, accomplished. And, you know, and you're hitting big themes on this, too, which we'll, we'll get to, you know, heavier themes that kind of outweigh that fun. But but musically, I mean, right from the beginning, Complainer, like you all have, you've teased funk before, but this feels like full on in that direction. You know, I, that, well, I will say the the idea that you just said of, of like teasing different things, but going full on in a direction is is definitely one that like that idea I've been more aware of and going into this one was everything about the like sort of flirting with a genre or a feeling like let's just go all the way. There was a lot of like, you know, between Lars and I, a lot of conversations about that, about just kind of that feeling of like, yeah, you know, we, we've tried this before, like, you know, the freedom that comes with having done this for a long time and a sense of like, if not now, what are we waiting for? Just kind of push it, yeah. push it further. So, so that part of it was very fun to do that. Yeah. And yeah, Complainer, I think, goes all the way. We had uh, our friends uh, from Electric Guest, Asa and Matt, like, were in the studio some and helped with that song and a couple others, actually. So I think it had a big effect on the feel as well. I, I think that maybe the most surprising and, and maybe at the very second, my, my favorite on here is Waiting for Your Love, because as far as going full on, that's that's like disco heaven on that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> You've always been able to move to Cold War Kids, but uh, there, there's there's a new kind of groove happening there. And I, I don't know if you've got your like uh, your Tom York dance moves down for something like that, but it seems like it'd be appropriate. A little bit. I think there's always been a dancey element. It's in, in a lot of ways been a little like kind of spazier and and uh, a little more like jerky, <laughs> but. Yeah, we listen to a lot of 70s and 80s stones, and there's definitely a lot of that, like, kind of rock, like, some disco beats that we that we needed to, to get into. A lot of that feeling of a lot of music that we listen to going, like, yeah, let's just go all the way with this. So, so we'll talk about the other side now. There was an interview I'd, I'd read. You said each song is really focused lyrically. And and again, so now we have the, the fun music, but kind of, as we said, weighing that with, with what you're tackling here. And not, you know, I know not every song is taking on a really big subject. Some of it just sounds like, you know, personal stuff. But I was kind of wondering, like, when you say each song is really focused lyrically, do you find that different than you've done in the past? Yeah, I think there have been records. I mean, it, you know, it's interesting. It's it's also the nature of of making a record that is sort of more open-ended. And there's something that happens that you know if you realize as a, as a singer and writer if, if 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 we have you know 13 different songs pieces of music that feel really good and really cool and that i want to you know finish lyrics on all of them it is definitely a lot harder to make each one of those songs have lyrically their own little world 
that you know has purpose and and is its own thing it's a lot easier to have certain songs that are much more abstract and not quite uh, not quite amazing <laughs> and so yeah we've definitely that's how we've generally worked in the past and yeah so there's always a few songs that i kind of look at and i go like i'm not sure exactly what is happening here but uh you know of course i still love it and i'm proud of it but i this one by biting off a smaller portion like having eight songs and knowing that you know they are all stylistically really different than each other i can you know think of like the artists and the bands that remind me of probably and the genres that that each song separately would be described as, but also lyrically. Yeah, they're, they're, they have their own world. They're not all sort of, there's not really like songs that were just kind of like uh, lyrically written as filler or, or musically either, which again, it's just a nice thing about just by setting out to not just make a record and have whatever 12, 13 songs and, and, and then have the ones that just need to get done and aren't necessarily, don't have the same sort of singular purpose. So. Right making everything counts in that way. It seems yeah. like it's even more yeah. pressure, you know, <laughs> when you've got to do it like that. But to me, like, record making, it's always like, I guess I, I feel like I'm never going to have run out of ideas or run out of inspiration in the big, like, macro sense. But in the moment, yeah, you definitely are going to find those days where you, like, you just kind of like, man, I got nothing. I'm, I'm not, like, I don't see it, you know? And so really recording and, and you know, all making of art, like, it's, it, you know, you ha- having the freedom to stretch it out and to to go to work, to, to kind of make your work schedule work around when inspiration hits is is an ongoing struggle and, and thing to, that, that you're trying to learn about yourself. And, you know, that for me has is, is been 15 years long of just kind of learning. Like there are, there are days when you just go to work and, and you work on songs. And then there are other days where like lightning strikes and you have great ideas. And, and of course you want to like, for me, in a lot of ways, the whole thing of recording, writing, touring for Cold War Kids, like it all becomes in one, you know, one thing, one, one, it, it becomes a smoothie in, in one blender where like we're always touring. We're always, you know, you could be in the middle, deeply in the middle of a studio thing. And there's always going to be, you know, two festival shows that you build three more shows in and suddenly you have a week tour on the East Coast right when you thought you were, you know, deep in something. And so learning how to channel those, like, you know, on, off, being gone, being home. I also have a family. I have two kids now. I, like, learning how to just, like, it, when you hit those sweet spot moments of being able to juggle it all, I, I, I think there's this misnomer that, like, if you're hyper-focused on just the music and just you know, the recording, and that's all you could do, then you are going to get your best results. But like, that's not true for me at all. I'm like much happier juggling like my, and I also have to, like we spend so much time being gone that I have to like, I have to juggle my life and the writing and the touring and everything. And, And I think it makes it more, I want the songs to be me as well. You know, like I, I think this record is probably the most, 
the closest to my heart, like the most, the most that feels like stuff that is really immediately relevant to me, as opposed to something that is more abstract and more like something I'm setting out to do. That's like cool and reflects a feeling. This is like, yeah, this is more immediate to me. With all of that, that you're saying there, you know, the, the touring, the family, uh, et cetera, it makes it even more mind blowing that this is part one of three. Because, you know, setting out to do an album is one thing. Setting out to do three albums with everything else that you've got going on. I mean, it's it's impressive to begin with. Now it's beyond that. Yeah, I don't know. I guess there's a, a somehow connected to the that is like there's a weird rhythm that, you know, you know, as a I, I'm, I mean, you're a writer, you there's a weird rhythm to anything creative that when you're doing it really well, it doesn't feel like work the best the best parts of it don't feel like work mm-hmm. the um the getting to the studio the the scheduling the arranging of so many things those are all work and they're all but like you know getting in there and finding that thing that feels like a big you know release and expression that that you get the feeling of like oh my god i'm, I, I'm so glad i got that thing in my head out into this song that's the best feeling so right. of course you like i want that as much as I can. So yeah, it, it, it is it is work. It's more of the logistics, scheduling, and all of those things to do three records. But it's also like it actually again like it, in the way that the rhythm of our life works with always touring and always hopping on you know some festival thing. We a lot of things come up last minute for us, and then a lot of things are just the regular you know month on a bus of tour. And so I think this idea of sort of three records it feels in a way like the records themselves as not as the music but as as a thing that goes out into the world it it feels more disposable in this way that feels just very natural to me i don't know like Mm -hmm. how to say that better like um by there's that feeling that when you start to tour a record and sometimes you even get on a bus for a month before a record comes out and you're starting to play these new songs and, and then and then the record comes out and then and you're talking about it and, and people are, are listening to it some and um, and already you're aware of whatever the flaws and failures of that record or what could be better or what you want to do to move on from it but you're in it for a while you know for at least a year and a half or something so yeah this is a way of kind of being like all right you want the audience to be in as close of a place with you as you can be so this record coming out now we're still already past it and finishing you know volume two and three but at least it's it's like a lot closer you know what i mean it Uh feels like we're on a journey together yeah i mean the artist you've always got to be two steps ahead of, uh, of your audience in terms of like what you're releasing, what you're talking about every day. You're talking about these songs that in, for all intents are, are kind of behind you. But I like that. I like, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to sit there and talk about a song that's kind of behind me and have nothing new on my plate because that makes me like uncomfortable. Like I want to be already working on the next thing. And that gives me more joy and more mystery talking about the previous thing that we finished before. So Yeah. Well, I, I think it also goes to, um, you know, to complement your actual songwriting because, because this record, you know, uh, New Age Norms of Volume One uh, is so full of of little perfect songs. I mean, so many hooks strung throughout this. I think that's the impressive thing, knowing that there's two records. Knowing, you know, you didn't hold anything back. It seems like it's like okay, here's everything good because we're going to bring you more good. 
Yeah. You know, again, like I, I love the first thing you said and, and really gets me so excited, just like calling it a fun record, like a fun listen, a fun listen, not not a fun record like mm-hmm. that there's not serious themes and, and, and heavy stuff. But um, that is you want kind of that feeling that it hasn't been really thought through and, and cooked for a long time. And yeah, I mean, there are there are songs like Complainer, Dirt in My Eyes, like those songs like I lyrically, I changed so much and like went in and sang one time and then would call Lars and be like, hey man, I got, you know, I got, just got to come in and change these two lines and, and little things like I did that so much on this record, but I, but I also, you know, you ha- I had this deep seated feeling of like, this is making it better. I don't want to like overcook anything or, um, but a lot of the songs, you know, were, were realized that way with, a, with like me kind of like jumping into the studio for these, these, these periods and getting a, you know, a better perspective of the song and what it's trying to say, uh, as opposed to something like, you know, me, I guess more sitting at home and writing lyrics in a way that is attempting to kind of get it, get a whole idea out at one time and then going in to sing it all at one time and sort of that being it, which is, again, a band making a record. That's that's how we've operated a lot of the time. It's sort of like singer needs to write that thing and get one shot getting it all out as opposed to being able to, to build it over time. Well, you know, we, we, we've talked about it, kind of mentioned it here, and I, I do want to hit on some of these songs and, and what you're singing about, because the last time we had talked, you know, was a previous record with L.A. Divine, and that was part of the conversation then. I mean, you were being reflective of the world at that point. Complainer, I want to say, is easily one of my favorite songs of the political era. It says something to everybody, you know? It's it's yeah. it feels different than a lot of the other songs that we have heard, you know, good and bad from, from many artists. I think of like the idea of a song with a message is potentially like more effective than ever and also potentially more alienating than ever. Um, A a song with a heavy handed, narrow message can, I think, make an artist look more stupid than ever. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I think you you risk looking self-righteous and so just, you know, in your bubble by, by having a simple answer for any kind of message that you want to send. Um, and so it's tricky. I, I think it's very tricky. And I think the writing is, again, it's not like a science where you're sitting down and trying to calculate what people want to hear. But in my own writing, as a, being able to look at stuff that I'm writing that might be a, an emotional expression of what I want to say, but, I, but you do, I do have to look at what does this look like to people that are going to hear our music and like does it look preachy does it look simplistic and does it like is it igniting some emotion for a large group of people that is really unhelpful (laughs) you know and like i think those are important questions and uh again yeah i don't know when i list different artists that i listened to yeah last year and see certain things that i don't know you know somebody said something like when trump was elected like oh this is going to be great for you know rock music or like punk music you know there's going to be all this anger or something and it's like yeah no i i that's that's dumb that's really dumb you know that's like that's not insightful or um yeah like anger itself on its own is is not a virtue you know it's it's not a um it's not something that is in itself leading 
to positivity or goodness. So in a song, it's got to sound like very natural and like a, like a thought, you know, not filtered. So finding those things takes time. It's not the expressing it is, is, you know, should feel quick and effortless, but it's the searching yourself, I think, knowing going into it that takes time. What I especially love about that song, just furthering what you say, too, is it's not exactly an answer. It's an inspiration because, uh, again, uh, everybody's online complaining. Uh, I get online and I complain, too. But it's that pushing forward. You're not telling anyone exactly what to say, although I think if you follow your band, you probably understand what you would want you to say want us to say but uh but it's just that inspiration like you, you can only take this so far on here if you want to change the world get your ass up which i absolutely love i'm so happy with how it came out and i'm so happy that it it says enough right. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah right so uh you know it's, uh, this is so that's volume 1 we know the volume 2 is coming at the beginning of the year you've talked about it a little bit Sean Everett's behind the board on this one we're such a big fan of his production around here as well when you say that we're, we should expect raw and earthy what does that mean for volume 2 exactly um i guess it's it, in a lot of ways the kind of catalyst for, for for separate record within you know one theme was that we have a lot of different ways that we have worked over the years and a lot of those ways are really great um some of them are like myself and lars in a room together writing songs and moving slowly and thoughtfully and and then the sort of polar opposite of that that we have also had many success and failures with is being a you know a band in a room with the producer and having whatever five six people in a room constantly writing playing performing recording making music together and having it sort of be that much more chaotic process of and it's also a very quick process when you have a group of people in a room getting ideas and and writing songs together um but that is that's how we started as a band that's how that was our sort of that was our mo from the beginning and so yeah with sean and his style it just was such a perfect perfect time for us to do that a lot of because la divine and new age north volume one were much more like myself and lars and knowing that i have you know the greatest band that i'm not totally letting us all be unleashed in a room to create noise together i knew that i needed to do that and that's um so being able to do that with Sean Everett is like the greatest kind of the Colbert kids, the side of us that is, you know, a live band that loves to play off of each other. That side of us has been bottled up for a little while. So like, this is a great release of that. Well, I can't wait to hear it, especially, you know, for as good as number one is here. Uh, you've really set me up for number two. <laughs> good. Awesome. Yeah. And we've got some good surprises for number three that were, that are also still getting finished. So yeah, yeah, it's really it's really fun. It gives a, a place for a lot of ideas that you know it would you would have had to think about how it makes sense in one record before, but now being able to keep these things, you know, keep them coming. It's a nice way to to be able to spread the ideas out. Well, it certainly makes being a fan a lot of fun too. So uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Nathan, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time again today and catching up about this. I, I, I so love New Age Norms One. Uh, looking forward to two, man, and uh, and we'll see you out there. Thank you. Thank you so much for your questions and everything, and uh, yeah, see you soon. All right, man. Take care. Okay, you too. Right. Bye-bye.
And my thanks, Nathan Willett, Cold War Kids, part one of New Age Norms. It's out now. Now, Nathan and I have actually spoken several times throughout the years. I thought I would include two more of those interviews while we're here. And this next one goes back uh, just a couple years, 2017. Going into this year, the band had found a sleeper hit with their song First back in 2014 on the record Hold My Home, giving them some breathing room going into uh, 2017's L.A. Divine. So Nathan and I got to talk about some of the album's back against the wall characters and political tracks. It's part two of Kyle Meredith with Cold War Kids. The compliments first, L.A. Divine is a fantastic record again, which is something. Thank you, guys, you so much. Yeah, it's something you guys do over and over. I, I'm listening to it, and I was sort of wondering, as I listened to the characters, and and this isn't exactly a new thing for your writing, but it seems like a lot of these characters are in a bad spot, maybe to the point of desperation. Yeah, I mean, I always think that's where things get most interesting, you know, in that in that desperate place. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess it is interesting to say, like, whether it's in a bad way, I think that in a lot of ways, a lot of that good, you know, that moment of crisis, you know, whether like spiritual or physical or whatever that like, you know, you you do have the opportunity to kind of, you know, rise out of it to kind of transcend. And, and those moments are actually kind of, you know, of desperation can kind of be good moments as well. You give your characters a, ch- a fighting chance. That's nice of you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not doomed. <laughs> I, uh, I I always kind of felt that about myself, too. It's, it, it is those moments uh, artistically when your back's up against the wall that it seems to, you know, that's that's when the best opportunities end up happening. Yeah, you know, it's um, I re- there's one book that I read uh, during the making of this record that uh, was a, a writer called Richard Rohr. He wrote a book called Falling Upward that is actually very much about that. It's about, like, kind of how starting with kind of like uh, Homer and the Iliad and the idea of like, you know, the journey, even after he comes home from from his, his great life's journey and, and he kind of get, has has this amazing experience of victory and winning his battles and everything. And that it's that moment when you come home and you kind of get depressed and you go, what's, what now? What What is my, like, what's my purpose? What's my journey now? That's kind of when it starts. And I thought, man, that is that is a really like, and and he kind of goes on to show how like in the Western world we're very ill-equipped to understand that like that it is those moments of of desperation and crisis that we that we're defined by and and that we that they are you know as much a gift as as a struggle and um, yeah so I love I love that stuff. It's a, it's a very human thing. In fact, I you know I think about some of the lyrics and you've got one that has the line i don't feel invincible and yet it comes right after one that sounds like it's written about a superhero like <laughs> yeah i mean I, I definitely think anybody watching the news uh, you know always but especially in the last year and especially with you know shootings that there's just a sense of like man and, and a part of its age you know part of it's for me you know that everybody gets to that point in their life when they don't feel invincible anymore but also just in general i think there's just a sense of people are like um you know part part of the record too i think the concept is that living in la there, there it is kind of i mean and let's see how do i say this i think there's a universal thing i think in a lot of cities in the world you hear about violence and you go oh that's over there that would never happen here but it's a strange thing because once there's, a, you know, and then once in a while you're here, you're here about something terrible, a tragedy in a, in a city that you go, oh, wait, but that's 
that's just a regular city or that, or that's my city that is, you know, my city away from home or something. And then when it's, and then it just has that different face on it. And I think, you know, LA is funny because it, it, it projects its own, you know, it has a, a universally understood myth about itself as being, you know, kind of, you know, movie like and sort of maybe above the possibility of certain tragedy happening, and especially on like a kind of a terror level or something. But, but yeah, so I think that's kind of definitely going on there in that song, Invincible. Well, it seems like what you're talking about leads into especially a Wilshire protest, which is a really powerful moment of this record um, with sort of the poem over the top. But I'd also be curious where the music come from in that, because the music's really interesting what's going on there. Yeah, there was, you know, there's three kind of like vignettes on the record and little like kind of, I thought of it in the way of like, you know, it's funny, it's almost finished with the record and I, I was kind of just at home by myself working on these songs that that I guess I felt like, almost like in a hip hop record, how like a skit can like inform kind of like, just the vibe and the culture of a record in a way that almost songs can't quite get that close. And, and so, yeah, it just became a cool way to be like, you know, the Wilshire protest was a, a something that I, it was the first post-election kind of LA protest. And I got to go to and just kind of write from a perspective of just like almost like a journalist, you know, an observer and, and think about it in the context of LA and how kind of separated we are from each other. And, and yeah, it was just, it was fun to create all three of those songs just kind of after the record and think about, you know, what are the songs trying to say that like, you know, these kind of little vignettes can even go further on. I love the way they tied it together. And then, you know, with you guys being part of the 30 Days, 30 Songs, uh, I mean, the way you're, you know, the the, uh, the songwriting approach right now is, I, I love it. I love what you're doing. And, and it should note, too, yeah, that even with all these things that you're talking about, like the music almost contradicts all of that because the music is always so upbeat and, and joyful. And it sounds like you guys, you know, it sounds like one of those lines you hear during the press run for anybody, but it actually sounds like you guys are having even more fun than usual in all this so yeah definitely you know i really think that you know to have six records and i think you know there's there's in between phases there's always going to be like growing pains and finding out who you are i think i think you know the song first and and how well it did on the last record and how it gave us definitely gave me a, a kind of a renewed sense of like oh, okay you know this is we're not just kind of struggling to keep our head above water here like we this is this is uh there's something that kind of came full circle you know the sound of of the first record even that we, you know and the kind of simplicity of we really wrote around the piano this time around, and I think that really helped have, the, for me, just a lot of freedom, you know, especially in the early days, the first few records, I didn't want to be behind the piano with every song, and, you know, after the fourth record, we had Matt Schwartz joining, he, as a piano player, he can play everything, so I don't have to be thinking about that anymore, I can just kind of think about, yeah, making the piano the center, but not also having to be behind it every night, <laughs> so... Um, I can be out front and, 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 you know, those are the little things that actually have a huge effect on the record for a band like us that does come from kind of like primarily a touring uh, is where we spend a lot of our time. So, so yeah, I, it, it is definitely like, you know, it's a lot of years of learning about 
your strengths and I'm just so happy to keep doing it. And, and it feels, it, it is a really fun phase right now. Yeah. Well, I love it. And I thank you for the music and, uh, and it's nice to talk to you again, Nate. Thanks again for the conversation today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's very encouraging. Thank you. No problem. Take care, man. Okay. You too. Right, bye. bye. A 2017 interview with uh, Nathan Willett of cold war kids talking about the record LA divine. Now jump even further back, 2011. I do believe this is the very first time that we got to speak. I caught up with him backstage at Bonnaroo that year to catch up about the record uh, just released called Mine Is Yours. So enjoy some more bonus content. It's part three of Kyle Meredith with Cold War Kids. It's Bonnaroo 2011. Cold War Kids. Welcome, fellas. Thank you. Hi. Very well, very well. Yeah. Holding up so far? Uh, Holding up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holding up. Uh, The usual question, have you done this one before? One time, yeah. yeah. Then, uh, I think 2007, I think. Seven, seven or eight. Yeah. One Reactions, of memories? Um, we actually did a fun thing when we were here. We did, um, we played a kind of a set in one of these little tents with uh, Elvis Perkins, Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, and Dr. Dog Dudes. We, were all, we, we had all been touring at the time, and um, this was many years ago. And, and that Al- was fun. Alec, Alec too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember that. That's all coming back now. Yeah. That's so long ago. That was here. That was in this very... Uh, Tennessee. Place. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, in this very state. Fun. Yeah. Well, I've uh, been really enjoying the new record. It's Thank been you. out for now for a few months. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, it's been written about plenty, but you guys kind of went for the bigger sound this time, it seemed. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, the, the previous two records we had recorded mostly live, very... Um, very spontaneous, and, and this record we spent, we actually were in Nashville for a, a couple months um, recording it, and uh, yeah, we, 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 there was a different intent going into it. There's a lot more layering of, of uh, sounds and instruments and guitars, and um, yeah, it was a different approach. We're really happy about it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You even went with the, uh, a producer this time. Yeah. You have a producer? Guy, Jakir King, he, he lives in Nashville. Because so. I didn't know how to say that name. Yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one. Uh, had you done the producer before? I think I'd read maybe that uh, that you hadn't. Well, we we've had um, uh, I mean, we we've worked with a few different guys, yeah. But um, th- this was in ways like the more um, we we were inviting more input in this time, yeah. And give ourselves much more time. We we had only given ourselves a few days in the studio for each record before, you know, like two weeks at the most. One week at the the first one was one, and then, yeah. So we we spent close to three months in the studio for this one, yeah. So, did the songwriting take place in that? Did you guys go in with the songs, yeah, or was we that? In, yeah, we went in with without any completed songs. We wanted we wanted to um, to be able to really, uh, yeah, make changes in the studio. Now that you had the compare and contrast on that, do you prefer a certain way, or is it still model yeah. by model? I I think I, I don't know. We're we're kind of getting into that time. Where we're going to make some more choices about how we will approach the next project, and um, I don't know. I think we might take a little bit of both. Um, I, I I would. Being in a studio situation where you're you don't have complete songs is a good kind of it's a good it's a good way to to stress yourself out. It, it can can be really positive and is also um, like yeah, it can make you crazy. And uh, I think we'll probably go into the studio with with things more complete this time. But also like you know, I'm not sure what what the different direction or scheme will be this time around. Yeah. One thing I really enjoyed this time around was uh, you guys got a bit heavier into the remix game, especially with the title track. It yeah. seemed was was that uh, you, you guys? Was it label? Um, it, we we yeah we had wanted to do um, have people remix 
a few songs off the record, and, and it worked out really well. We had like um, Passion Pit, Ye Sayer, the dudes, uh, Cool Kids, yeah, cool kids guys, yeah. yeah. Um, Blended Babies. Blended Babies, yeah. There's there's some other ones too. Uh, yeah, we're forgetting some. But well, yeah, how, how do you nice to have people do interpretations and to, yeah? Do you guys get into really get into that? Was, was it weird hearing it in a different way? And were you cool with putting it out right away, or did, was there a really selective process? It was not that selective. I think you know we got a lot of them back, and it, uh, uh, remixes are nice because in in a way it, it reflects the artist who is doing the remixing more than your own song, and and it's and it's on their shoulders in a, in a way, kind of more to to have a cool interpretation of it. Uh, there's also been uh, quite a lot of EPs through the years. Uh, is there going to any plans for maybe a, another one of those here and there? Uh, there's been talk. There's been some talk. We we like doing the EPs. We like because it's um, especially in this day and age where like um, there's so much emphasis on the on um, I guess kind of the, the bigger release and and at the same time like you put an EP out and you don't even really need to announce it and you don't. You know the, the record label or, or the press or whatever, like, kind of has to catch up to it instead of trying to prepare. So, yeah. Well, good luck on the Bonnaroo set. Great 2011. Congratulations on the uh, the new CD again. We're really yeah. enjoying it. So, thanks, thanks guys. Right We're out. And there it is, wrapping up my own trilogy of Cold War Kids interviews. Again, uh, look out for the uh, the first of their new trilogy, New Age Norms. Part one is out now. Part two coming at the beginning of 2020. And thanks to you for sticking with the episode all the way through the end. I really do appreciate it. Uh, if you uh, if you haven't subscribed already, you can grab us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, also Spotify, YouTube. Really, wherever you're listening from right now, grab your listening device, type in Kyle Meredith with, and subscribe. And if you're already a, a subscriber and hanging with us, and if you haven't given the series a rating or review, please do that uh, before you get out of here as well. It's always a huge help. After that, head to WFPK.org, where I do a show every Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of uh, song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, that's WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me at Twitter, at Kyle Meredith, and Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.